from New York City. This is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And on this episode of SVU, we're taking a look at the most expensive and therefore surely the best Netflix original movie to date. The David Ayer directed urban fantasy Bright, starring Will Smith as an L.A. cop and Joel Edgerton as his orc partner. Yeah, you know, in honor of Bright, we were going to spend this episode talking about why Netflix went along with the generic, uninformative, and frankly, SEO unfriendly title of Bright when they could have made the internet so happy by just calling this movie Orc Cop. Indeed. Uh, but since the decisions of the streaming giant are as mysterious as a nine ninety nine a month Magic 8-Ball to us plebs, uh, we're instead going to take a tour of the incredibly success-filled, though maybe not so much as it used to be, career of Will Smith. Who was not just the star of Netflix's first attempt at a blockbuster, but who also really like threw his lot in with the streaming experience when debating the nature of cinema with Pedro Almodovar at the start of the last Cannes Film Festival, when they were both on the jury. But uh, before we touch on some streaming highlights from the Will Smithography, let's do it, Matt. Let's talk brights. It's a new day. Back to work. <laughs> We will not be listening to no orcish music. That is one of the greatest love songs ever written. Yeah, well, I feel sorry for work ladies. Three Adam Nine show us in route. First time being shot at? Yeah, I dislike it very much. Yeah, it sucks. Now, go! What is that? Killer weapon that grants wishes. I'm assuming this doesn't end well. Here's how we do things on Film Spotting streaming video units. At the end of every episode, we let you tell us what we should tackle for our next main review by voting on one of three options. Last time we gave you three titles that all happen to be on Netflix Bright and the Errol Morris hybrid miniseries Wormwood both originals to Netflix, plus Pottersville, the movie in which Michael Shannon is mistaken for Bigfoot and even harder to believe, plays a warm, cuddly, beloved small town figure. Uh, Pottersville didn't stand a chance, probably for the best, but Wormwood put up a fight. In the end, though, Bright prevailed with over 41% of the vote. Uh, even though it premiered on December 22nd, Bright is clearly serving as a kickoff for Netflix's Big Bad 2018, in which the company plans to release 80 original films, according to Ted Sarandos, ones that, quote, range anywhere from the million dollar Sundance hit all the way up to something on a much larger scale. And Bright would definitely be on the larger end of that scale with a reported budget of $90 million. Uh, Suicide Squad's director David Ayer at the helm. Uh, an apparent hot commodity of a script by the, let's say, divisive Max Landis, writer of Chronicle and Victor Frankenstein, and more recently, someone facing allegations on social media of sexual misconduct. Netflix has gotten a real Hollywood movie in apparently multiple senses <laughs> of the word, uh, and it has a real Hollywood star, Will Smith, playing Daryl Ward, an LAPD uh, officer in an alternate Los Angeles in which humans coexist tensely with orcs and elves and fairies who sort of seem like raccoons and also there's at least one centaur on screen though whether they get their own neighborhood is unclear uh, but what is clear from the opening montage of graffiti was that these fantasy species are intended to be a stand-in for some sort of racial allegory in which the orcs are kind of the most discriminated against. Uh, even Nick Jacobi, played by Joel Edgerton, who is the rookie Ward has reluctantly been paired with, uh, is the first ever orc cop on the LAPD, and no one's happy about it. Um, before Ward ever utters the immortal words, fairy lives don't matter today, we see all this street art that shows orcs uh, raising their fists in the air, a la Jesse Owens' Olympic Black Power Power salute, elves taking selfies while orcs or cops beat down orcs in the background. So, Matt, to kick off this discussion, I'm going to turn once again to your favorite part-time film critic, Chance the Rapper, who yes. on Twitter wrote, "Yes, I found the way they tried to illustrate America's racism through the mythical creatures to be a little shallow," mm. and continued. I always feel a little cheated when I see allegorical racism in movies, because that racism usually stems from human emotion or tolerance, but not by laws or systems the way it is in real life. The characters in Bright live in a time timeline where racism is gone, because we hate orcs now. So Matt, do you agree 
does Bright actually use its racial allegory to any larger points other than provocative set dressing? Uh, no. And I think, uh, <laughs> once again, Chance the Rapper really has proven to be America's greatest unpaid film critic. He's doing fine work. I hope he continues. He c- if this whole being a gigantic music star doesn't pan out... <laughs> He can surely pivot very easily to the incredibly lucrative world of, uh, of film stable. criticism. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a, not a good movie. I didn't find it to be quite as objectionable as some people. I read some very uh, uh, negative reviews. I would say my review is going to be pretty negative, too, but not quite that bad. I mean, it's not unwatchable, I guess. It's just not – I just didn't think it was very good, you know? Uh, it just seemed to me like a a really crummy um, blockbuster. You know, the sort of like uh, the sort of movie where you look at it and you go, "Oh, this." The premise sounds kind of interesting. You know, using um, this sort of Lord of the Rings style fantasy cast system to comment on racism, but also to do it in the in the form of a, a buddy cop movie. You go, oh, that could work. I could, I could sort of see how that makes sense. That seems kind of interesting on paper. Um, but then, like, it's the kind of movie that when you go see it, like, that's all pretty much just window dressing for a very generic sort of dumb, not particularly well-made action movie. Just a very generic, blockbustery kind of guns and violence action movie. And it's the kind of movie that if you had seen it in a theater – I feel like it's the kind of movie where if you saw it and then someone said, how was it? Should I go see it? You'd be like, "Ah, just wait for Netflix. So in a sense, (laughs) Netflix has sort of skipped a step and just taken one of these blah, crappy blockbusters that you wouldn't pay to see in a movie theater. Or if you did, you'd feel cheated and just thrown it on Netflix. Uh, I guess the issue is no one sets out to make that kind of movie. And that's to me what they made. What about you? Did you find there anything redeeming here? Yeah, I feel like I probably fall in the same place as you. I don't think, as some of our colleagues have written, this is the worst movie of the year. No, I think that makes I, it I sound more interesting than right. it actually is, Agreed. which is that it feels grown in of that, like of like grown in an algorithmic vat somewhere. Uh, it's you know, it's a cop movie. It's a fantasy movie. It stars Will Smith just doing Will Smith, like in the most kind of like standard sense. You know, it has. Yeah, all of this kind of like racial, these like gestures towards racial relevance, but it doesn't actually have anything to say by any means. No, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like all of that symbolism, especially in the beginning when it's leaned on so heavily, it actually like it's not there for anything other than like a like very light provocation. Right. Like it doesn't actually analyze anything uh, about this dynamic at all. No, whatsoever, none whatsoever, and you're sitting there waiting for it to mean something to the movie, and ultimately it really doesn't. It's right. kind of shocking how sort of politically bland it is. It doesn't even say something sort of like edgy or like offensive. It's just just not even there. There's it's, nothing right. there. It's just like borrowed imagery. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I do feel like I understand, and this is the case for like I think a lot of Max Landis's, and I should know also, Landis has kind of distanced himself a bit from this. Yes. Like on social media, he has not like picked a fight with it by any means, but he has kind of hinted that he is unhappy with what happened to his original script, whatever yes. that script was. He has uh, made some indications that like famous lines like the fairy lives don't matter, although in the film it's fairy lives don't matter today, today. which yes. was I think left out of like the trailers and stuff. Um, I think Max Landis is, uh, uh, has said that he did not write that line. Right. He wanted to make that very clear. <laughs> and also, if you go to his Twitter page, which I think his uh, account is like at up to my knees, it doesn't say watch Bright on Netflix right, right now. It says watch Dirk Gently on Netflix on January 5th. Yes, which could is. be why he hasn't gotten <laughs> gone all the way out and like slammed the movie because yes. he has this other project that he doesn't want to piss Netflix off about. Well, I think that also, I think like maybe knowing him there was some kind of clause in this that Perhaps. was like a non-disparagement on on very possible media. but i think yes. it is telling it that is very telling his like account this. doesn't say watch bright right he's not says, he's been very vocal in general on social media and he is not pushing this project yes correct Sorry. Um, Continue. but then i think that like with as with a lot of his projects and i think like you know 
it's like he has famously been called like very good in the room in terms of pitching projects. Mm. And I think you can watch this movie and see exactly how it was pitched and why yes. it was considered a huge like like get that someone wanted it because yes. it's like, oh, it's fantasy, but it's using, you know, ways to like talk about how we are today and all of like Will Smith with an orc cop, right. you know, uh, like all of these elements that seem like, oh, they it's are Will Smith in Lethal Weapon with Lord of the Rings. Right. Here's 90 million dollars. Yes. And David Ayer will direct it. He made End of Watch, or was it, right? End of Watch. Yes, which yes. is basically this movie, <laughs> except but without better. fantasy and better. Much yes. better. Uh, but that, like, yes, all of these elements that are there, it seems, it is less a movie that seems, like, created by anyone than just assembled from different elements that are already popular. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, it, it feels very weirdly inert in that way. Right. Um, I don't know if this also frustrated you, but, like, the plot is so incredibly circular. All they do is it's they seem a to... It's really poorly... Like, literally circular. They end up back where they started, yeah. but, like... It's, it's a badly... I mean, I actually have liked, uh, you know, Max Landis, as you said, very polarizing, divisive figure. I've actually liked a few of his movies, besides I, Chronicle. I love Chronicle. I have been mixed on a lot of his other things. Yeah. But very rarely have I been like, no, there's nothing here. Right, I, right. I think he is a talented guy, uh, to some degree. Whether or not he's, you know, completely sort of uh, fulfilled his potential or has always made the most out of his good... I think he does have, again, like, he's probably good in a room because he also probably has, like, some decent ideas. He has decent ideas. Right. I don't know that I'm sold on how he actually follows through with any of them. Exactly. I, I agree with that. But, uh, you know, I don't want to, like, just come out and be like, Max, I, I, but this movie felt to me not very well written. Maybe yes. it wasn't his screenplay, as he sort of suggested. But just the, even the way it opens with a dream sequence... That turns out to also be a flashback, and it's not entirely clear right away what is happening in terms of we see Will Smith getting shot, and it seems he wakes up from this dream, but then it actually happened, and then there's this whole thing where Joel Edgerton is the, the orc cop, and everyone is acting like it's his first day on the job. But he's in the flashback dream sequence, yes, which means he's been while. working for a while. Months and months, actually, since At Will least Smith because has recovered from yes, like a terrible he, injury. He's, been, he's recovered from a horrible gunshot wound, so he's been working there for months. But everyone is acting like it's his first day on the job, and don't partner me with this guy. And so it makes absolutely no sense structurally. It really seems like there was a very different cut of the movie or a different – longer version of it that got whittled down or condensed or re reworked in the editing room. In that way, it feels a lot to me like Suicide Squad, the last David yes, Ayer movie, yes. where that movie, again, and just like a lot of ways, like scene to scene, it made no sense. Right. Where you like go, you didn't how did this how scene got... connect from right. the last scene? Yeah. Or they spend all this time setting up characters and then randomly another character will just show up and they're like, oh, this is Katana. She's here now. Right. And you're like, but we just spent an hour setting up the entire team. Yes. So this movie to me feels a lot like that, where sure. not only is it not interesting, you can't even say, well, it's at least it's fun pop escapism. Right. It's not even well put together on that level. No. It also, I think, like, there are ways when it started off where I was like, I'm actually really into the fact that it doesn't lay a lot of exposition on you about the world it's set in. Yes. You know? And I, I was excited, actually. I was like, oh, yeah, this care. is neat. We don't need to hear this, like, mythology. We don't need to hear all of this. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes clear that that's in part just because this universe is incoherent. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. No. Uh, you like, the elves are on top. They're super rich. They t tend to be mostly white. The orcs are coded very confusingly. Mm. Like, I don't think actually you can say it's so simple as that they're just coded black because right. I think there are ways in which there is literally a character who gets lynched in this movie. Uh, and like, but like other, there are other ways in which they're coded almost as like, like, I don't know, like Boston dudes who would try and fight you in a bar. Right. <laughs> you know, like there just are other. Mooks. Yeah. Palookas. Exactly. Uh, but either way, the fact that they're on the kind of like bottom of this totem pole is mm. like, and, and what that actually means for them is like not really clear. No. Uh, and then, and then there's like a moment in which the, the LAPD like make this heel turn. <laughs> And oh yeah, evil. that makes no sense either. No sense at all. Yeah, I know. I was watching, going, wait, did I miss a scene? I, was I actually so rewound angry the movie when that happened. Actually, yes. I mean, one of the advantages of Netflix is when the movie stops making sense, you yes. can rewind it and see: was I not paying enough attention, or did the movie just suddenly stop making sense? Yeah, the, and, uh, it, the movie stopped making sense. It stopped making sense. Yeah, and then at that point, it becomes this kind of chase in which, like, multiple parties are trying to catch the, these two guys. And they're, where they're trying to go is entirely unclear. 
Right. And there's, guys. and there's a wand there's, involved. There's a wand. It's not entirely clear at the start and kind of sort of turns out this way later that there has like not been magic in the world for a really long time. I mean, that's another thing that's confusing because it seems like you would imagine based on how the world is basically ours plus orcs right. and fairies and everything right. that these characters must have somehow merged with our society in the last, I don't know, 25 years. But they also say they've been around for thousands of years. Right. So, so, and there was like a bad battle, like right. thousands of years ago, hundreds of years right, ago. With the- but then, so if there's no magic, I don't understand why people react to the wand the way they do. Yeah. Like it was like this awesome score and not like this mind blowing thing. Right. <laughs> and you also have to me, another sort of incredibly, aggravating part of this movie is that this female uh tika the elf that there yeah. is that they're trying to like sort of she's like equally important as the wand and they have to the, the our hero cops have to protect her and like in some scenes she's like borderline like mute and can't do anything and then in other scenes she's doing like parkour kung fu moves she's basically lilu from uh yes. fifth element if she never grows or changes or learns anything right and barely speaks and barely speaks and yes is mostly just like a a, a walking object that can yes. do parkour uh, yeah and has no sort of emotions keeps, or character and keep secrets for no reason yeah it's again it's just like a really poorly sort of structured and, and thought and, out movie yeah. I, you know it's one of those things where i'm like there is definitely promise in this universe absolutely like it's a little silly but it's also really intriguing there's a lot of good then, silly movies yeah I, I just i don't understand why there's just so little kind of like respect given to its own world building right. and i think that's so frustrating when you're you're having what is really a fantasy movie yeah um, yeah. And then of, we didn't even mention, but Numi Rapace as oh, Layla. Another bad the villain. And what is she even doing here? I guarantee I you she's another sort of victim of the editing that went on because she's barely in it. Right. And also her motivations are so mystifying. Yes. Like their whole world, they're like elf terrorists extremists right but then also there's good elves that work with the government but maybe they're not so good but they're at least aligned with the government right but also then if she has this really powerful wand why wasn't she using it before like where are all of these evil elves hiding these dark elves this is definitely the questions you want to be asking when watching a buddy cop movie about these mismatched partners who are navigating this crazy world of elves and orcs and yada 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 was interesting to me that in uh in end of watch the cartels had this almost like like there were almost this horror movie elements in that movie you know at the Mm -hmm. end because they were such this like frighteningly kind of like more like kind of like more powerful and like more capable of just doing like these like acts of violence that Mm -hmm. just kind of like intruded into the lives of these cops who were not prepared for it mm-hmm. and i feel like in this movie it kind of does the like there's the opposite effect in which all i want to do is like strip out a lot and just ask some very basic questions mm-hmm. you know how does this all work right all of that i mean david Ayer, kind of like max landis is a guy that i've liked some of his stuff in the past i think it can be a talented guy i really I, like fury i know not everyone does yeah, but end of watch and sabotage he made the arnold schwarzenegger movie sabotage which isn't great but is interesting and you're right he has sort of this he can bring this sort of horror edge he has this very dark like intense sort of violent approach to these sorts of movies that i think didn't work with suicide squad because there they went so cartoony right he doesn't have a feel for cartoony at all you know when he tries to do sort of like buddy cops here and then mixes it with really dark violence it just doesn't like he has no sense of that like clashing tone whatsoever and he has i don't think he has much of a sense of humor so that doesn't help either especially in a movie like this where they're like trying to make it like a buddy movie and you have will smith and and joel edgerton like cracking jokes and it's just just leaden yeah, absolutely I know. Leaden. it is very leaden it's also i mean i like joel edgerton and i feel like he often gets stuck in these very thankless roles in mm-hmm. bigger movies like yes. and in this case he's he's kind of he's playing this comic relief character a lot of the time which i thought was an odd choice for this right like i kept waiting for his character to also like at least show off some of like like he's an orc like what can he do that the human can't do but right. it's never really an element other than he can smell things i guess <laughs> like i don't you know like you keep waiting for this no, to you're be totally like right. like are you stronger aren't you like tougher but he seems like this kind of like he's like he is the comic relief like yep. and and I, i'm not sure 
what that was supposed to amount to. Yeah. And I mean, we could sit here and pick holes in it. But again, like his character doesn't make sense. He I mean, they they sort of talk about but they don't make entirely clear how he's like he doesn't have the teeth and he's always wanted to be a cop. But he seemingly grew up in the real uh, real our world, the human world. But he doesn't understand certain things like he just again, just showed up from, I don't know, uh, Middle Earth or something. So it's all his character. uh does it make sense? I mean, we, I, I think before we wrap it up, we should talk about Will Smith because we're doing a yes. Will Smith podcast. I want to yes. talk about him. The one thing I thought could have been potentially interesting, again, the movie does nothing with it, is that Will Smith is now playing – like Will Smith like in his his ascent, his box office blockbuster ascent, he was the brash young cop right? or the young hotshot action guy. Yes. Now he is the old cop. He is the age – he's the – you know, he's like – he went from Mel Gibson to Danny Glover. You right. know what I mean? And he's also the one no one wants to work with. That's right. why he gets stuck. Yeah, he's, he's grumpy. Cranky. Yeah. He's yeah. So, like, to me, there's something interesting there. It's like cat, casting Joel Edgerton kind of as the Will Smith character and casting Will Smith as the older guy, whoever – you know, in the sure. archetypes. And the movie does nothing with it. And, like, Will Smith mostly just keeps cracking jokes. Right. He does the same thing he's he's done in a lot of blockbusters. Right. Now, granted, he still is an incredibly good-looking guy. He doesn't look like the old cop, quote-unquote. But to me, it's like you're casting him in that role. Uh, he talks about his pension. He's very concerned yeah. about his pension. Yeah. He's married and he's getting over this horrible, you know, violent act. He's got the mortgage. He's upside down in his mortgage, apparently. Right, <laughs> right. And, he, right. He, and he's got this house. He's trying to sell his house. He has these real adult concerns. And so you're thinking, oh, they took the ultimate young hotshot cop and made him the older cop. That could be also very interesting if Will Smith was interested in playing like an older guy who actually had problems. But really, it again after the first couple of scenes, it just becomes totally generic it's action just, movie uh, with and Will Smith doing yes, doing Will Smith generic Will Smith role. Yeah. All right, before we close it out, what I wanted to ask you quickly. Okay, what do you think? What does this mean to you in terms of like Netflix's future in ventures of like this? Does this? I mean, because I find it like a depressing. Just like in terms of how just like constructed, literally constructed from like different elements that some someone seems to think that they people would like, right. especially like young men would like. Yes. I just find this so kind of uninspired. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, allegedly, we never know how many people watch these movies. Netflix guards their 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 data very closely. Supposedly, I don't there was some sort of number that was put out there that so and so many million people had already watched it. <laughs> We don't even know if it's true or not. It could be true. It could be completely inflated or deflated. I have no idea. Um, to me, I'm sort of with you. It's like, to, again, like, it's like Netflix tr- trying to make the one kind of movie that really, to me, they shouldn't be making. Because it's like, this is the kind of movie when done well. Like, I want to see on a big screen. I want to go to the theater and I want to watch – uh, you know, this big, expansive thing. And and we haven't really talked about the way the movie looks. It doesn't look that great. It doesn't no. look terrible. It looks just murky and yeah. dark and, yeah. Very bland. Not that, I mean, it doesn't look like they spent 90 million bucks on it. Let's no, put it that it way. not. So to me, it's like, if, if, you're, if I'm going to see a big movie, I want to see it big. Like, to me, like, just think about, because Netflix has, in the last year, made some good movies. Yeah. Some very good movies. We've talked about them here. But to me, it's like, that $90 million, how many, nine, they could have made 10 Nine million dollar movies yes. with interesting filmmakers. They don't all have to be art house movies. They could be little movies that are edgy and interesting. The nine million dollar movie isn't even that little. No, that's <laughs> that's like these days. That's like a pretty big scale. That's a decent sized movie. So to me, it's kind of discouraging because it's like it, Netflix is so intent on just becoming like the only media company you need, the only entertainment company that has to exist, and it's like. That they ha- well, we have to make our own version of big Hollywood blockbusters because right. that's because we have to do everything. And it's like to me, this if uh, this is this is a worthless thing. It's not terrible. It's just worthless. It's pointless. Yeah. yeah, I know. It does. It makes you think like of all of the things to ape of Hollywood. Like Hollywood waste is not the right. one that you want. Exactly. Like this thing where you look at it and you're like, why did that cost ninety million dollars? Yeah, you're yeah. the upstart. You're the people who can. Take risks. You made Okja for goodness sake. Yeah. Like no studio would make that. I know. Like, and Okja costs like a reported fifty million, and right. it looks like it. It's huge. Like its scale yes. is huge and expansive. Yeah. Yeah, and incredible special effects. Where this movie has just kind of meh. So it's like, yeah, if this is the if this is the way of the future, uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's not looking bright. Oh my! 
I can't believe you said that and not me, quite anyway, frankly. Yeah, I can't believe it either. <laughs> well, that's bright. It's available on Netflix. And reportedly, a sequel has already been greenlit. All right. So we're going to talk here about Will Smith, the star of bright and and a lot of movies and and, and really a star of many mediums he has conquered music and television and film i guess to me looking at his career and when you say okay we're gonna do a will smith podcast and then you look over the movies that you could potentially talk about and you're like most of these are bad and i think that's what really struck me is that i like will smith i think he's an incredibly charismatic guy you know he's like everything you want in a movie star he's great looking charismatic, funny. He's a good actor. You know, he's made movies that I don't like where he acts, and I think he is very good in them. I just think that he maybe has the worst taste in material (laughs) of anyone, any actor of his size. I don't know if it's him, if it's his, you know, agents, whoever it is who's picking his material. He consistently picks some of the worst material where you go – Okay, if I squint and I really look at his character and I think, what was he doing in this? And then I go, okay, and he probably got all, he also made like 20, 30, 50 million bucks. Sure, I get it. But you just look at the movie, you're like, I wouldn't want to see this, let alone like work on it for like two years of my life. And you go, why would he make this? And I have not gotten a satisfactory answer to that question. And it's been years of wondering that. He's made a lot of really questionable movies for like 15 years now. Mm, yeah. It, the last like decade or so has been odd, let's just say. Right. I think in particular, you know, he's 49 years old now. And the, the kind of movie that made him an A-lister and for, for quite a while, this kind of like pop movie, this right, this like extremely popular, airy Aims right for the middle, yes. uh, kind of blockbuster. Uh, it's taking a hit. Like people don't really, unless it's a superhero movie, which he got he made did. his way into right. recently. Uh, it's not quite. We don't quite know what to do. Hollywood's floundered a bit lately with that, yeah. and I feel like Smith's career has floundered a bit too. I mean, just in part because the days of stardom. He was like considered the last man to be able to open a movie for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, now maybe no one can open a movie reliably anymore. Right. Certainly not Smith. Certainly not The Rock even. Uh, it, it's kind of a different time for stardom. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing that for someone who is like your classic, come see the movie because you like me so much. Right. Kind of person, like kind of actor. Yes. I, I hate to be the kind of person who's like, don't act or don't stretch yourself because I do think he's talented and can do it. I think even in movies that I don't like, I think he can be very convincing. Like a movie like, uh, I'm looking at his filmography here. What's a good example? Like Concussion. That's a movie that's not good. No, it's not terrible. No, but it's just kind of, it's just there. I think he's very good in it. I think he's, you know, uh, but it's just like, why would Will Smith, when he can be Will Smith, play the guy from concussion i guess i think he's chasing like the ali yeah right? he, like that role again right. that one where it'll show him as like a real actor not right. just a star sure. but like a real actor but don't but, we all think he is a real actor at this point hasn't he proven that enough I don't, I don't i think that the fact that he keeps choosing roles that seem clearly designed in someone's head to win an oscar and turn yeah. out to be horrible right like <laughs> yeah. some really i mean like concussion is the best example of like a slate of some like attempts at these extremely maudlin oh like horrible movies right Right. like every time he makes one of these movies and he does it being like i you know i want to prove i want to i want an oscar i think like you know it's that kind of uh it it just it it very rarely works out well for him and i do think that he's shown himself that he he can act but like he very rarely seems to be able to find a role and i think like that in particular his taste in like serious movies is, is shocking is shockingly bad yes yeah. i the one last thing i would say is i had i just recently watched this thing it, it hasn't come out yet so I, and i'm not supposed to talk about it so i can't tell you what it is but i just saw this recent thing it's coming out soon where he's a talking head like an interview subject he is will smith and he's talking and he literally is the most charismatic person i've ever seen in my life just him talking about a movie and you're like and he's just like wearing like a polo shirt he's not you know he's just hanging out being will smith and you're like this guy has it he has it and a lot of the time these days he is wasting it like where is the will smith being will smith movie i feel like it's been a long time where he's just like even in bright you know because you see flashes of it but flashes but he tamps it down yes i know he needs to unleash the full will smith and i feel like 
it's been way too long. And just and I'm 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 telling you, I'm watching him just be himself, and I'm like, this is more entertaining than eight of the last ten movies he's been in. Just this couple of minutes of him talking about a movie and chuckling and cracking jokes and smiling, and I'm just you're just like, where is this guy in all of his movies? And I will say this though, do you know what his next project is? He's the voice of Aladdin. He's the or, genie, or genie in Aladdin. Aladdin. Excuse me. I think, which is like very, yeah. I think yeah. that could be a, a bit of a uh, sure. resurgence for him. Sure. I think that could be the uh, the Will Smith comeback, especially if he sings like a new Will Smith theme song for it. <laughs> I don't want, I, I, obviously he's going <laughs> to sing the old Disney song. Yeah. That's not what I mean. No, you want he a needs, new single. Yes. You want exactly. like a, a no Here swear. Here comes yeah. Aladdin. No, no swears rap from God is magic carpet. Maybe, maybe telling the plot of the movie is yeah. what you want. That's uh yeah, I, I, I'm, I support that. Rub that magic lamp. Well, let's go on to my first pick. Okay. Uh, which is, I, you know, I love like early career ephemera from people, right? And what's remarkable when you look at Smith's career is how little of it he has. You know, and when he was uh, half of DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, he had like a Grammy under his belt before, like by the time that the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was created for him uh, in 1990. And then that ran for six seasons. He was a TV mainstay. Uh, he did Bad Boys before the show was over in 1995. Independence Day was 1996. He made the TV to movie transition about as smoothly as anyone yep. ever has in the history of show business. Yep. Um, but there are a few oddities in there before Michael Bay came calling. Um, and I think what's really interesting about these early films, like Six Degrees of Separation, which is on Amazon and Hulu, and my pick, which is like this weirder one, Where the Day Takes You, um, is that even in these kind of like more serious films, before people really understood Will Smith as a movie star, he is still playing characters who get by off of incredible charisma. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, Smith's just so undeniable in this this quality about him. Uh, so Where the Day Takes You is on Netflix. And I would say, I would not call it a good film, but it is a fascinating curiosity from 1992. Uh, it was his first movie role. And it is about runaways in Los Angeles. And it has an incredible cast, Matt. <laughs> I, I am looking at the poster. Yes. Can I say one thing? Here? Yes. The best part of the poster, I'm looking on Wikipedia, yeah. is that all these names, and they are, it has a great cast, and that Will Smith is the bottom he of the list. The He's tier. the last name. So stars a not particularly convincing Dermot Mulroney as King, the 20-year-old leader and father figure of this group of runaways. Sean Astin as a meth addict. Balthazar Getty as a kid with aggression problems. Lara Flynn Boyle as King's teen love interest who ran away from home after being molested by a family member. Ricky Lake playing, uh, as was like, unfortunately, so many of the, uh, these movie roles she played at the time, a girl whose main qualities are that her weight. Right. Uh, James LeGros as an oddball, Adam Baldwin as a cop, Kyle MacLachlan as a drug dealer, Alyssa Milano and David Arquette as prostitutes, Christian Slater as a social worker, and oh yes, Will Smith as a double amputee street kid who Whoa. uses a wheelchair. Whoa. It is a small role in this movie, this movie that is, as you would guess, extremely crowded and kind of guided by these interviews that Dermot Mulroney's character is supposedly giving. Um, but even in this crowd, this like ridiculous crowd, um, in this, this very kind of like maudlin after school special of a movie, Smith really is a standout. He just, he's one of the only cast members who approaches his role. Like he's playing a person rather than kind of an embodiment of a social issue. Like his character is seen early on just like racing someone in his wheelchair, uh, racing someone who was on foot. And just like is laughing and like ru running through the streets. And he's just like so alive in this way where all of these other, all of these other actors, well, aside from Kyle McLaughlin, who's doing something very weird that is very enjoyable <laughs> and inexplicable. Um, all of these other characters are basically kind of like, like very clearly Hollywood actors like playing tourist in this like very romanticized form of, of kind of poverty. And homelessness. Uh, and then you have Will Smith, who's, who's just like there glowing so bright. Uh, I think that it's, it's interesting to see this and Six Degrees of Separation, which I think is a better movie and a really like, uh, and one that kind of like also get, allows you to see Smith before his persona kind of crystallized. Uh, they're both like ways in which you get to look at someone who had so much kind of like raw watchability. Even then, even before people knew quite what to do with him and even before people kind of like assigned him this like 
put him in the leading roles and assigned him these leading roles forever. Uh, he still, he just has it, you know, like it's there even very early on. You just want to watch him. You want to watch him on screen. Uh, so that is where the day takes you. It's currently on Netflix. Again, I can't, well, we'll not tell you it is a good movie, but it is an, a very interesting artifact of its era. It sounds pretty interesting. I've never seen that movie. For my first pick, I chose a slightly larger scale film called Men in Black. It's the 1997 sci-fi film that really cemented Will Smith's status as this new A-list leading man following some of those movies you mentioned, like Bad Boys and Independence Day. Uh, The film, which launched a huge multimedia franchise, is about a secret government organization. It polices the aliens who live on Earth, erasing the memories of any humans who come in contact with them. Tommy Lee Jones uh, plays Agent K, and, you know, your movie, Will Smith... On the poster is uh, billed last out of all these names in the in the first Will Smith uh, first Men in Black rather Will Smith is billed below Tommy Lee Jones which is also kind of amusing in hindsight um, he uh, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is recruiting a new agent after his partner retires and that new agent turns out to be Will Smith's uh, agent Jay he's a brash NYPD cop. he uh, proves his value by tracking down a rogue alien and then helping Kay with a case. And they wind up uh, on the hunt of this big space bug who is wearing Vincent D'Onofrio's skin as a disguise in what is actually one of the more memorable bad guy roles in any 90s blockbuster. Uh, The last Men in Black, the most recent Men in Black, Men in Black 3, did not make much of an impact at the box office. And in general, the franchise has kind of faded away from memory, but it is hard to overstate how huge the first movie was in 1997. It was the second biggest movie of the year after Titanic. It was bigger than Jurassic Park 2. It was bigger than Goodwill Hunting. It was bigger than the special edition of Star Wars. And it was quickly followed by toys and an animated series and there's a universal ride based on it. And of course, yes, the classic Will Smith theme song, which was a inescapable radio hit in its day. Uh, Looking back at it for the first time in many years yesterday, I found it a very – I was kind of surprised how slight it is. It is only 97 minutes long, kind of like um, what we were talking about earlier. It it actually dispenses the mythology of the Men in Black very – like all in asides, in quips. It does not dwell the way you might expect uh, it would. And I found that kind of refreshing in our – modern world of blockbusters where people not just the filmmakers but audiences they're both so obsessed with backstories and mystery boxes uh instead of just telling like a good story with kind of characters we like which is much more the men in black uh mold will smith's pre men in black uniform of course you know the, the men in black wear like the black suits they look like the blues brothers but um you know, what he wears before that is hilarious. I encourage you to Google, like, Will Smith, Men in Black. See if you can find a picture of it. It's incredible. It's very late 90s and in the best way possible. Um, but other than that, he is just oozing charisma. And he is great with Tommy Lee Jones. You have Tommy Lee Jones as the no-nonsense guy. And then Will Smith is the, you know, the wisecracking guy. And the effects, which are a blend of early CGI and kind of the peak of the more practical side, prosthetic makeup, animatronics by Rick Baker. They all hold up really well. And all the stuff with Vincent D'Onofrio as this bug inside this slowly decaying skin suit is really creepy and wonderful. And you watch this movie and you go, I get it. I get why this movie was a hit. It's funny. It's clever. It's well shot. Has lots of cool gadgets, cool aliens. It's clever. Has some nice plot twists. And it has Will Smith. And he just, he just, he, he, he's got it. That thing when you say, oh, that this person has it. He has it. And very few people have had as much of it as Will Smith did in this period. <laughs> also, the dynamic between them is great. It's great. It's so great. Absolutely. They just – because it's like you know the buddy cop thing. They have to both believably hate each other and believably love each other, and they they pull that off. And you know we talked a little bit about it in – in bright, but it is kind of interesting to see him evolve, or it could be to see him evolve and play more of the Tommy Lee Jones character if he had, if the movie had, I don't know, given him more of an opportunity to do that. Anyway, so that is a recommendation if you have never seen it or haven't seen it in a Somehow, very long time. Yes. <laughs> well, I hadn't seen it in probably yeah. like. 
20 years. Man. It's 20 years old. Oh, so, terrifying. yes. So that is Men in Black. It is available now on Hulu. All right. My next pick is available for rent. It's also streaming on Stars, and it is Hancock. Um, so when Will Smith was uh, doing a promo tour for his 2005 romantic comedy, Hitch, uh, he gave the Birmingham Post this fascinating kind of glimpse behind the curtain of casting for him uh, in terms of what it was like to be the most famous black leading man in Hollywood, arguably, uh, even a little over a decade ago in 2005. He told the paper um, that his leading actress, Eva Mendez, uh, that when it came to like casting a romantic lead for her, that the filmmakers, uh, or according to him, quote, uh, there's sort of an accepted myth that if you have two black actors, a male and a female, in the lead of romantic comedy, that people around the world don't want to see it. We spend 50-something 50, 50 million making this movie, and the studio would think that that was tough on their investment. So the idea of a black actor and a white actress comes up. That'll work around the world, but it's a problem in the U.S., um, and so casting Eva Mendez, who's Latina, is presumably seen as a compromise, which is a very depressing kind of calculus yeah. on many levels, both in terms of how it sidelines black actresses and how it emphasizes how incendiary the pairing of a black man and white woman on screen apparently still is seen as. Um, and I think it is what makes Hancock, which is this kind of riff, weird riff on a superhero movie from 2008, directed by Peter Berg, uh, feel like a commentary on this tension uh smith stars in it as hancock a drunk destructive surly amnesiac with superpowers uh and then i'm, I'm gonna spoil the twist in hancock uh so if you are worried about that if you've not seen this movie um this messy weird it was all a dream movie um this is the one that happens about halfway through oh. so skip to the end of my my section they were if you all don't dead all this. along yeah no so so will smith is hancock who is a superpowered curmudgeon saves the life of an idealistic public relations specialist named ray played by jason bateman gets brought into his life bateman's character uh decides to help hancock clean up his image and also introduces himself introduces hancock to his wife Mary, who is played by Charlize Theron, who, halfway through the movie, reveals herself to also have superpowers, to also be immortal, like Hancock, and to be Hancock's destined other half, his wife, in fact, uh, though he doesn't remember this. They are two people who are always drawn back to one another. They are these godlike beings. Uh, but in each other's company, they become mortal. They lose their powers. They age. They die. So all of the other immortals have died. Uh, and not them, though. They keep getting torn apart. And it is implied, more than implied, really, that, like, in part, this is because they always face violence, because they are an interracial couple. Uh, the last time they were together, 80 years ago, uh, they went to see a movie. He held her hand. They were in Miami. And they were attacked in an alley. Uh, and she says, every time we're together, they come after you through me. Um, and it is like suggested that throughout history, he keeps getting attacked for being with her, uh, which is this kind of in retrospect, like also in context of what Smith has said, uh, at least at that time, uh, you know, 10 years ago, that the kind of like considerations that were these very kind of like conservative and troubling considerations that were being put into who gets cast with him on screen. Uh, this movie seems to really be addressing that directly, particularly in how it ends, which is not with Will Smith and Charlize Theron, the two, like these two, the two most beautiful and charismatic people who are on screen throughout this movie, uh, running off into the sunset together. Uh, it's instead is basically like they cannot be together. Um, uh, which is like a, it, it, the whole movie is very odd. There are a lot of pleasurable things about it. Smith in general also just playing this like semi homeless, uh, wastrel mm -hmm. who's constantly drinking bottles of whiskey and who keeps destroying property because he just doesn't care when in his attempts to be a superhero and save people, like destroys more property than ever would have probably been wrecked by the criminals. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely entertaining. It takes all, makes all kinds of weird choices and its mythology is deeply confusing but uh there is something about this this kind of odd ending and the fact that there are these two like like people who super like superhuman beings that can't be together uh that that just seems to resonate with a particular i mean like like the only way that will smith gets to stick around and play the superhero is basically if he gives up his romance with uh with this white lady and that is the message of the movie <laughs> 
<laughs> which I don't know if it's what Peter Berg had in mind, but definitely uh, it feels like this. It is an interesting blip in in Smith's career. Uh, so that is Hancock. It is available for rent. It is also streaming on Stars. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a good movie, but it is a very interesting movie. Yes. In a lot of ways, especially now where, you know, it came uh, sort of before the big superhero boom. Obviously, there were superhero movies already at that point. But, um, you know, it was almost like proactively kind of uh, tweaking all these movies that came in hindsight. I wouldn't uh, say my second pick is a good movie either, and I wouldn't even say I'm necessarily recommending it on its own. It is a bad movie, but I think it makes an excellent double feature with Men in Black. You can pair them together as a sort of instructional course, how to make a blockbuster and how to not make a blockbuster. And it is uh, Wild Wild West, also directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, this is available on Netflix, and it was made by Sonnenfeld just two years after he made Men in Black with Will Smith. And so Men in Black and, and Wild Wild West are sort of fascinating, fun house mirror images of each other. Uh, they're both buddy action comedies. They're both adapted from uh, source material. They both have a ton of wacky gadgets and eccentric-looking villains. They have a fast-talking, very cool Will Smith clashing with an uptight white guy partner. Um, in this case, it's a little bit more of a James Bond pastiche set in the Old West based on a not very well-remembered uh, 1960s TV series of the same name. Will Smith stars as James West. He's a secret agent in Reconstruction-era America who is sent by President Ulysses S. Grant to stop a, I don't know, mad scientist guy. He is played, you're laughing already, <laughs> by a le le legless Kenneth Branagh who is basically doing like a feature-length impression of Foghorn Leghorn. That's the only <laughs> way I can describe it. If Foghorn Leghorn was a man who like had a steam-powered wheelchair, that would be the bad guy in Wild Wild West, played by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, where Men in Black was a huge success. Wild Wild West was not a huge flop, but, a, but sort of a tepid blockbuster in terms of Baco's office and a huge critical flop. And to watch the movie, which I also watched again this week for the first time in a very long time, it is to watch a bunch of people who have convinced themselves that because they had one success, they cannot fail. And there is this this kind of unearned confidence and swagger about the movie as if like – Hey, this movie is gonna make a billion dollars. Like it just, the, the, everyone has this kind of like attitude about them in the movie uh, and that they just didn't earn. Uh, for all the similarities between the films, as you really like, if you watch them together, which I, I did this week, there are these interesting differences. The world, and kind of now that I'm thinking about it, bright kind of you could dovetail in there too. The world of Men in Black makes sense. Aliens exist. They walk among us in secret. They've brought this incredible technology with them, which is why the men in black have all these cool ray guns and stuff, right? The world of Wild Wild West does not make sense. It's 150 years in the past. Somehow they have technology more advanced than the year the film was made, including rocket-powered bicycles and wacky automated trains. And in this one very bizarre sequence, there is a projector that can shoot light through a dead person's severed head and project the last thing they have seen on a wall. Uh, now, I, I guess if a movie is good enough, clever enough, people will suspend their disbelief. It is easy to suspend your disbelief watching Men in Black because Tommy Lee Jones has these deadpan line readings. He really sells the idea of these aliens on Earth. He's so serious that it makes the outlandish seem plausible. But there is no baseline of reality in Wild Wild West. Um, if anyone is the straight man here, it's Will Smith, and he's sort of like in Bright. He's still cracking jokes left and right. He hates being the straight man. And you have Kevin Klein playing his sidekick, Artemis Gordon, who has all these wacky inventions and talking a mile a minute and acting kind of bizarre. And it just seems like a cartoon. There's no stakes. There's no weight to anything that's happening. You don't care about the characters at all. And... You know, again, another difference. Men in Black, Will Smith is a new agent. So we're seeing everything for the first time through his eyes as he sees it through the you know, for the first time. Wild Wild West, everyone just kind of accepts all this crazy stuff they see is just, well, it's just this is what happens in the world, I guess. Steampunk is real, I suppose. But I don't know. Maybe I just don't like steampunk. Is that possible? <laughs> it's possible. Is that a thing? 
Uh, what else? I think I've already mentioned it's based on a TV show that nobody cared about. No offense. I'm sure we're going to get like an email from the one Wild Wild West fan. I would love to hear from the one Wild Wild West fan. I kind of would too, actually. Tell us about it. I don't know anything about the show. Yeah. Oh, and the last thing I would say, the way that this film deals with the, you know, issues of race and slavery, because remember, the film is about an African-American hero in the years after the Civil War. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. It's totally <laughs> crazy. There's a scene, hey, quote unquote, hilarious scene where uh, Will Smith's character tries to talk himself out of being lynched with a group of white people by being silly uh, because he's offended them by uh, sort of like besmirching the honor of a white woman. But it's played for comedy. That's a really weird scene. And then – you know, after all the gadgets and wacky stuff that goes on, and this is a very minor spoiler, it turns out that the whole like motivation for this adventure is this town full of freed slaves that were all horrifically murdered, including Smith's family, by the Kenneth Branagh character and his underlings. So you have both this wacky blockbuster adventure with like slapstick comedy that is also a terrible reckoning with the history of racism in the United States. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. That is a lot. So again, it's a bad movie. It's a much worse movie than Hancock, but it is sort of fascinating. I wouldn't call Hancock a bad movie. Okay. I would say Hancock. It's not a good movie to me. No, but I don't think it's bad. It's more interesting. This movie, though, is pretty – again, it's like if you watch it back-to-back with Men in Black, it is really fascinating. And it does have its own theme song. (laughs) You going to sing it? No, because I don't remember it. It sounds a lot like... I almost got you to sing it. It sounds a lot like Men in Black from what I remember. <laughs> Here comes the Wild West. Yeah. That wasn't it? That wasn't it. All right. Let's get to Behind the Eight Ball, where we wrap up the show by talking about some new releases on streaming. We give you two listener recommendations that you guys have sent to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And we also share one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists on Netflix. Who's going to go first this time, Allison? I'm going to go first. All right. Well, let's start with three new releases on streaming. All right. New to Netflix, as if you need to be told, Black Mirror Season 4. Um, I've already watched all of it, Matt. You have children, so I'm, I'm assuming I haven't you watched have any of it. Yes. Uh, I will say this. I did feel like it was a weaker season overall, mm-hmm. but it has a great episode. The first episode, USS Callister. That's the Star Trek yes. episode. Starring Jesse Plemons and Kristen Mil- Milioti, uh, around, among others. It's like a riff on toxic fandom and Star Trek. And also my favorite Twilight episode of, uh, Twilight Zone episode of all time. One that is also currently mm. streaming. It's a good life. Oh, interesting. Yes. If you haven't yeah, seen I gotta that, watch at way, least that one. Yes. I, I think it is definitely like a very clever riff on a lot of, uh, uh, the themes of something like It's a Good Life, made modern, maybe with like a touch of Gamergate in there. Uh, so that is on Netflix. Check that out. Um, new to Vimeo for rent is World of Tomorrow, Chapter 2, The Burden of Other People's Thoughts. This is the new short, long short film, I guess. It's like maybe like 20, 25 minutes from Don Hertzfeldt, someone we both like a lot, uh, independent animator uh, who famously makes uses stick figures for increasingly ambitious works about existence and beyond. Um, I've seen this. I actually went to see it in the theater. Um, he was touring with it. And it's very good. It is well worth the rental fee on Vimeo. And also on Netflix, A Gray State is a Werner Herzog-produced doc about... Uh, aspiring independent filmmaker David Crowley, uh, very not, very much not a scrappy disaster artist charmer. Uh, Crowley was a combat vet who wanted to make a movie called A Gray State, which is this dystopian thriller about an oppressive federal government running wild. Its trailer got all of this attention from the alt and conspiracy minded right, including Alex Jones. If you don't know what became of Crowley, there was a whole piece about him in The New Yorker as well. I'll leave it unmentioned here, except to say that it's totally awful. Um, but this is a whole documentary that has a lot of footage that Crowley shot himself documenting trying to make this movie. Uh, so that is on Netflix, A Gray State. How about two listener recommendations? I've got one from Alex who writes, If the recent news of Louis C.K. is making it hard for you to enjoy his FX show, I'd recommend Better Things on Hulu. You might recognize the lead, Pamela Adlon, from said FX show. And the, and the sense of deja vu doesn't end there. It's also about a single parent navigating show business and parenthood. It's funny, personal, and touching, sometimes in the same scene. Check it out. 
Thank you for that, Alex. Yeah, I've seen the first season of Better Things and I really liked it. So I'm um, hoping to catch the second season soon. And I've got a recommendation from David in Reseda, California, who writes, In the wake of Bright's dubious allegorical politics, it's time to revisit John Carpenter's They Live, mm. available for rent. Across the many sci-fi films that use the same conceit of aliens and monsters standing in for minorities, They Live stands out by targeting a minority that earns its deviled makeover, the 1%. Uh, while movies like Planet of the Apes, Alien Nation, and District 9 give us coded black and poor others that teach the often dominant white leads the value of multi- multiculturalism, They Live knocks that convention on its ass by depicting skinless freaks at the top of the food chain – uh, who through a privileged f- few humans control, exploit, and punish the underclass, which is made up of white and non-white working people uh, expected to just take the social hierarchy for granted. It's a rich premise that would gel nicely with 21st century pop culture and give us the catharsis of seeing people that look and suffer, just like us, face off against people who already behave more like monsters than men. Thank you for that recommendation, David. Excellent recommendation. Okay, how about one film or TV show chosen blindly by number from your <laughs> my list? You gave me number six. Uh, that is God of War. <laughs> this is a 2017 Chinese yeah. historical wa- war movie uh, directed by Gordon Chan. This is what it's about, Matt. Do you know what? Have you heard of this movie? I believe that I have, but, but let's yes. tell the listeners. It's about samurai pirates yeah. fighting Chinese villagers being trained by Sammo Hung. Take my good, money. Take my money. Such a good premise. Um, yes. So that's there. I'm really looking forward to watching that one. Yeah. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yes. Give me three new releases. First up on Netflix is the entire Godfather trilogy, Francis Ford Coppola's epic saga of one Italian crime family across multiple generations. Yes, this includes the classic 1972 original, then the 1974 Godfather Part II, which is both a prequel and a sequel to the first film, one of the most ambitious and best sequels ever made, maybe the best, perhaps, you might think. And, of course, The Godfather Part Three, released more than 15 years after the first two, widely derided in its day. I would be very curious to do a re- revisit of The Godfather Part Three. I've sure. only seen it one time. Maybe we should make that a listener's choice option sometime because I feel like – I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not expecting to look at it now and say, oh, that film's a masterpiece, but something tells me it is, I have a hunch it's better than its reputation. It just seems like the hype for that movie was so high. Expectations were so high. How could it ever live up to the first two movies? Uh, anyway, you could see for yourself if it does live up to the hype and the reputation of the first two movies. Uh, all three films are now available on Netflix. Next up on Tubi is All Is Lost, the 2013 film from J.C. Chandor, the director of Margin Call, and starring Robert Redford and only Robert Redford, apparently I now call him. (laughs) This is a a solo film. He's the only uh, person on screen for almost the entire film, pretty much the entire film. And he plays a man sailing out in the middle of nowhere who has to fight for survival after his boat collides with a shipping container and springs a leak over the course of the movie. His unnamed character must continually problem solve. One issue comes up after another. Uh, he's got to deal with bad weather and sort of unspoken trauma from his past. I thought this was a really good movie when it came out and a unique one as well because it is this interesting sort of survival film with just one character. So there's almost no dialogue and it's very much an exercise in visual storytelling. And I remember – I've only seen it once, but I remember loving the ending as well. That is All Is Lost on Tubi. Finally, coming to Netflix on January 5th is the return and new episodes of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, Jerry Seinfeld's very entertaining reality internet series, which is basically the nonfiction version of the old Seinfeld show. Jerry and his comedian buddies, people like Larry David, Chris Rock, David Letterman, and many more, driving around in Jerry's insanely luxurious car collection. And then getting coffee at diners or coffee shops or whatever and just telling jokes and talking. And the series was on Crackle for several years. It's now moving to Netflix. There are 24 new episodes coming in total to Netflix, at least for the moment. Who knows if there'll be more after that. Netflix is also getting all the older episodes as well. If you haven't seen them or want to revisit them, they will be available there on January 5th. All right. Give me two listener recommendations. First up, I have one from Zach. He is at Swishel on Twitter. 
Uh, Zach writes, quick recommendation for those who use Hoopla Digital through their local library. Just watched Landline. It was great. I liked it better than Obvious Child, which is also good from the same director. You guys are great. I look forward to every new podcast. Landline is also now available on Amazon Prime. So thank you for that recommendation, Zach. And we have a, I guess, a sort of re-recommendation here from Keith in Virginia Beach. He writes, if you allow me, I would like to again endorse the Criterion Collection worthy gem, The Noah, starring Robert Strauss and directed by Daniel Burla. The film is streaming in its entirety on YouTube and is a worthy anti-war successor successor to Dr. Strangelove. The film follows the marooned sole survivor of a potential nuclear war as he seeks to set up shelter and live out his remaining days in peace. He is soon overcome by his isolation and begins to communicate with a voice in his head who he names Friday. Things seem to be going well until one day another voice appears and complicates things. This second voice is female and soon jealousies arise. Noah begins to lose his grip on his sanity and reality. Soon he is forced into a paranoid state where he must go to war with himself And as the sole human survivor stands to account for all of humanity's misdeeds. I cannot stress enough how funny, terrifying, and remarkable this film is. Even online, I was only able to find one real write-up of this film on filmthreat.com. I would also encourage people to read about the making of this film. It has a classic star-slash-director feud and definitely feels worthy of its own documentary, detailing all of the reasons it should not exist. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So that's The Noah, streaming in its entirety on uh, YouTube. And that's a recommendation from Keith at Virginia Beach. Thank you, Keith. Okay, give me one from your my list. You gave me number four, and number four on my my, 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 my list right now is Cult of Chucky. Following a string of murders in the asylum where she's confined, Nika Pierce begins to wonder whether Chucky is real after all. And I added this to my Netflix account after reading an article on BuzzFeed of all websites Mm. uh, about how Child's Play became the funniest, most reliably surprising and queerest slasher series. And it was an interesting article. Written by Louis Peitzman. Yes, written by Louis Peitzman, your co-worker. Yes, it was a good article. It was an interesting article. I have not kept up with the Chucky series. I have not either. But uh, it made me want to. And Cult of Chucky is, I believe, the most recent one. Um, If it's not, it's one of the more recent ones, which I have not seen. And it is on Netflix. So I uh, added it to my my list. Shall we get to our options for our next listener's choice review, Allison? Let's shall. Okay. Well, we have three very intriguing options here. The first one is one of my favorite movies of 2017. I'm not sure if it was one of yours as well. It was not in my top 11, but it it was close. I I am very fond of this movie as well. All right. Well, it definitely made my top 10, Mm. not 11, because I can make decisions. No, I won't be confined. (laughs) Hey, man, I won't play by your rules, man. Exactly. Well, it was in my top 10, and it is coming to Amazon Prime uh, on January 7th. It is A Ghost Story, the latest film from David Lowry, one of our, I think, most talented up-and-coming directors. It is a movie that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year. Um, I think the best, the least you know about it, the better if you don't know much about it. It is about a ghost played by Casey Affleck and then mostly by a sheet, a guy in a sheet, maybe Casey Affleck. It's hard to tell because it's like literally a walking around sheet like – you know, like uh, the live action version of, you know, the something from Charlie Brown or something like yes. that. It is literally like a big sheet with eye holes. Um, I, I think it's an incredible film. I would be happy to watch it again. I've seen it twice already. And uh, I think there's a ton to talk about. Allison, you were saying you didn't think it was a movie that got enough attention. It deserves yes. more attention. I think and- that it was like a huge favorite out of Sundance. And I think... I mean, sometimes that's a terrible sign. <laughs> True. Um, some movies that get huge attention in Sundance come out and you're like, oh, God. I saw it again at normal altitude and too. loved it just same. as much. So, same, same. So it's a great movie to yes. me. So, yeah, I think there would be plenty to discuss there. Option one, A Ghost Story, available on Amazon on January 7th. Option two is already available on Amazon. It is Woodshock. Uh, This was a psychological horror film or drama. I think there's some debate about its genre. Um, That kind of came and went very quickly. It was an A24 release, but a a smaller one. 
uh, starring Kirsten Dunst as a woman who is dealing with the grief from the loss of her mother and starts using these kind of hallucinogenic uh, drugs to to kind of escape from her grief. And it's the directorial debut of Kate and Laura Molivi, uh, who are fashion designers, actually, behind the brand Rodarte. So uh, they pulled a Tom Ford here and got into filmmaking. And Dunst apparently, like, prepared for the role extensively. She was the film's EP. She really, like, believed in it. Um, it Yeah, it did not get much traction here. I've heard very mixed things about it. Mm-hmm. But it definitely seems, like, very visually interesting. And mm-hmm. so... And I'm curious. I, I, I think like when people who come from a background like fashion go into movie making, they do so with like a very different approach and like a much more visually centric approach. Right. And, uh, you know, it's always neat to see when someone, you know, goes into the medium uh, with an eye like that. Do you think, are there enough examples that we could do that as our theme with it? What do you think? I can't think of any other than Tom Ford, but maybe. Yeah, we'd have I haven't to actually looked into this. Yeah, we'd have but to maybe look. doing something about that's kind of like about like, or just fashion yeah, in general. Like might be might be something worth doing. I'm yeah, sure that, could that be fun. I'm sure that someone must wear some cool fashion in Woodchuck. Uh, but that is streaming on Amazon. All right, option number three, another recent film. It is called Lemon, directed by Janiska Bravo and available on Hulu right now. The plot synopsis I shall read to you. Isaac, played by Brett Gelman, watches his life unravel after his girlfriend, Judy Greer, breaks up with him. The film also stars Michael Sarah, Shiri Appleby, Fred Melamed, Jillian Jacobs, Rhea Perlman. Uh, one of the uh, indie films that got some attention, uh, I guess by the time you're listening to it, it will be last year, since you'll be listening to this in 2018. I did not see this movie, Allison. Have you seen it? I have seen it. And so it is an option here to discuss. Is there, what what, what kind of, what potential things could we talk about in relation to say, Lemon? Okay. I would say by f- easily, like the, the thing that this most cries out to be talked about in the context of is like the kind of alt adult swim style comedy. Right. Because it's very much comes from that but it's also like kind of in conversation with that okay brett gelman of course has uh, sort of a lot of ties to that world okay alt com uh, well how did you what is it called but, alt like, comedy alt is comedy it? but i would also say like specifically the adult swim style comedy right you know some that- of which i absolutely adore and some of which i absolutely hate so Same. it could make sort of a very interesting uh a, a podcast it would make for an interesting review and could also the topic in general could make for some interesting discussion too yes all right well which of these movies should we review on the next episode of film spotting streaming video units you tell us you can either send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll at the bottom of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, January 8th at noon. That is when we call it. Uh, and then we will announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at filmspottingsvu. And also on Facebook. Please like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash filmspottingsvu. And then you will have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out around Tuesday, January 16th. Filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of his work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer. And, of course, follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice. And where we share lots more streaming suggestions, both from ourselves and from you, the SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. 